What do you know about Christmas? That well-known and highly reliable publication, Heat Magazine, asked the well-known and highly reliable social commentator, Joey Essex, some of the basics. Heat Magazine. Will you put a nativity scene under the tree? Joey Essex, what does that mean? Heat, you know what a nativity scene is, surely. Joey, an activity scene? Is it a box you put your presents in? Heat, you know when Jesus was born? Joey, oh, the hair around the bottom of the Christmas tree? Heat, his mom and dad, Mary and Joseph. Joey, they put him in a cot? Heat, a crib. Joey, like a house? What was that song they used to sing? Baby Jesus, Bethlehem, and he used to sit in a little barn. That was a sick song. I really want to start going to church now. Heat. And the three wise men brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Joey, incredulously, how do you know all of this? Well, it's easy to laugh, isn't it? But the story, even the Joey Essex version, does sound a bit familiar. That's Christmas, really, isn't it? Most people's Christmases are a mix of an ancient story, tradition, confusion, and lots of wishful thinking. It's also very long ago. Remote in time and geography, pregnant ladies on donkeys, newly delivered babies in mangers, kings and their gifts, shepherds and their sheep. And the older you get, the harder it is to believe. When we were younger, it was magical, mystical. Not all feels somewhat made up and mythical. Doubts creep in. You get suspicious that someone isn't being totally truthful, and more questions are asked. Is any of this true? Is this all just myth made up to make us feel much better, all wishful thinking? And the major one of all, does he really exist? Did he really come? And no, I'm not talking about a certain rotund figure in a red suit. I'm talking about the other one, the one we claim was born in the stable. You see, most people think when pushed, when the tinsel is packed away and the tree is taken down, the Christmas is no longer a time of wonder. No, that's for the kids. Rather, Christmas has become a time of wondering, did it really happen? And it's not much helped by those around you who don't think it did. We live in a much cleverer world now, don't we? We understand where all those myths come from. Psychologists tell us we need them just to get us through. Historians cast doubt on the details, therefore they must be unreliable. Scientists tell us a virgin giving birth is a scientific impossibility, and the whole thing is just made up. A myth. A successful one, mind you, but just a myth. You see, the atheists, those who said God doesn't exist, tell us that the story of Christmas we pull out for carol services and nativity plays is a bit like that other story which we pull out around this time of the year. The other one, full of myths that the children love. Not the Grinch or Miracle on the 34th Street, no, the Gruffalo. They say that the whole Christmas story works in the same way as the Gruffalo story. It's a great story. You may know it about a little mouse taking a walk in the big forest during a snowfall. On the way, he meets various animals, each of them taking a real interest in the mouse. You see, they're hungry, and the mouse looks like a tasty treat. He meets a snake, then a fox, 
then an owl, and so on. Each of them are trying to eat the mouse, so they invite him back to their house for dinner. The mouse realizes that he himself is the one on the menu, and he is frightened. So he, rather cleverly, makes up a story about his friend, an animal, a cross between a monster and a burr. He describes the animal in detail, large teeth, spikes on his back, massive feet, big eyes, a huge nose. Each detail adds something more frightening, more sinister, so much so that the animals who are sizing this little mouse up for dinner flee for their lives. They've never heard or met the gruffalo before. They were just believing the words of this clever little mouse. All the while, the mouse knows that he is making it up. Silly old fox, snake, owl. Doesn't he know? There's no such thing as the gruffalo. He builds the myth, adding detail after detail, knowing it not to be true. He creates the monster for his own safety and his own protection. He creates a myth for his own comfort and to get out of danger. He controls the others by his claims, and what do you know? All the other animals believe it. The mouse didn't have any proof. He'd never met the gruffalo in the flesh, so to speak. Speak to Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, the late Christopher Hitchens, or Daniel Dennett, the leaders of the New Atheism, and they will tell you it's just the same with Christianity. Christmas, Easter, churches, morals, Jesus, it's all just made up. The whole thing is make-believe, created to control people, to get an advantage over others, to satisfy the power-hungry, all for their own survival and protection. And you do it by building the myth. Make up the story, make it sound convincing, begin to share it, defend it, and grow the so-called evidence. Build up a body of literature, convince yourself to convince others. Add layer after layer, construct a system of belief, and hey presto, you've got your very own Gruffalo. In this case, the monster, so to speak, is God. You will have heard and read some of this so-called myth-building even this evening. All of those readings from the Old Testament, the parts of the Bible written in the years before the birth of Jesus, amazing detail from people who had never met God in the flesh, but each of them convinced beyond doubt that God would come in the flesh. He would turn up on the stage of this earth, even more incredibly, or so the myth goes, this earth that He built. He would write Himself into the story, giving Himself a part in the storyline of history, that He would come because we needed Him to come to put right the biggest problem that all of us have, the problem of sin. You might have heard that in the very first reading. Human beings thought they, we, knew better than God. But a curse came because we said, no, God, you're not the boss of us. The so-called myth building continues growing momentum because like the mouse in the story, the gruffalo gains characteristics. In that case, a fiery temper and a desperate, insatiable hunger. But in the case of God, He would be called a son, a wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace. And just before He was born, hundreds of years since the last description, we are told, and an angel directed that He be called 
Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And Emmanuel, because he is God with us. Now, of course, all of this is make-believe. A fantasy for weak-willed Christians, or is it? You see, don't forget the end of the Gruffalo story, because what happens? Despite the myth-building, or so the mouse thought, the Gruffalo turned up to everyone's surprise, especially the mouse's. He did exist. The descriptions matched the monster. Big teeth, flat feet, a hairy, spiky back, a ferocious temper, and an appetite to match. Horror of horrors, the myth the mouse created turned out to be true. And the so-called myth that the Bible writers have described in such detail came true too. When we read to the end of the story, Jesus comes, God walks, He talks, He lives, and He loves just as one of us. The Savior arrives in complete ignominy and anonymity. The one described in such detail, the one who is called Emmanuel, God with us, and Jesus, the Savior, because He will save His people from their sins, arrived without trumpets and Twitter announcements. A Savior has come, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That this baby is called a Savior is both good and bad news. Bad news because you only need a Savior if you're in trouble, like you do if you're broken down on the side of the road, and the AA comes to pump your tar up or to work out your ignition. Or if you're a bank that goes under, you need a savior, a bigger bank, a richer bank, a stronger bank to buy you out and to cancel your debt. The Bible tells us that we're in trouble. We're lost. We're lost in our sin, blinded by our mess, condemned and cut off from God forever. But it's good news, Jesus being called savior, because God sent a savior, a rescuer, one who saves us from our sin, our mess, our condemnation. And he did that by taking it all on himself. He died for us so that we might be found, rescued, saved forever. Are you stunned? Because you should be. This is the central fact of Christmas the one thing that everyone needs to know. God came as a baby, died as a man, dying for a reason so that you and I could have the greatest gift of all, even at this Christmas time, rescue from sin, peace with God and eternal life. Our greatest gift because it's our greatest need, something that can't be packed away with the tinsel. Christians haven't made it up. Take a look for yourself. Read the words, follow the story, and you'll find that the character anticipated and described is the one that you have been looking for, the one that you need. And he is no monster, no creature who will eat you up if he's hungry that day. No, he's a savior who rescues and Emmanuel who is God with us. Is he the one you know this Christmas? You see, Christmas 
is for you. This child came for you. This child became a man and died for you. For you can. And the clue was read just a moment ago. To all who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to be called children of God, not born of the flesh, nor of a human's will, but a child of God. Is this you? For it can be. Just believe. Just receive.